Hello, everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 336, Bowser Goes Carding. Chillians, and welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joined as always with Sam and Eddie, who are both back from a stag or a bachelor party, as you'd call it in the States. Looking refreshed, I, I might say. I'm, I'm surprised. I thought there was going to be some lost voices, some puffy eyes, some puffy face <laughs> looks, but overall pretty good. Puffy faces? <laughs> yeah, yeah okay. I get what he's saying. Oh, as yeah. opposed to being what stung you... by like multiple bees or something. Well, no, like when you've been <laughs> drinking hard for a few days, you get you definitely get you the look soft. Oh, you go red. <laughs> you go red as well. Like you get that red glow to you. Well, that's certain. <laughs> we drank we drank a decent amount, but and we didn't sleep a lot. I would say my lack of I last night I was tired. Like I didn't. I drifted in and out wow. of sleep. For you to say you're tired, you guys must have not gotten any sleep. Because if no, there's one infuriating thing about Eddie, it's after a night of drinking, Eddie is trying to push in on my living room sleeping experience by like 8, 9 a.m. <laughs> trying to wake me up. No, I was I was pretty, I mean, I guess we were running on an average of probably four hours, maybe five on, on one of the nights. So it was tiring because there was stuff to do every morning and then we were staying up late. And last night during the, during Monday Night Football, I was drifting in and out of sleep during that Chiefs-Giants game. Not held by the fact that the game wasn't very good. I think if I'd been watching high-quality football, I might have been able to stay awake for most of it. But no, it was good fun. It was good fun. And uh, obviously, it was the bachelor party or stag do of friend of the podcast, Jake. Uh, it was nice. I hadn't seen him in, I mean, 18 months at this point. So that was, it was nice to just catch up and with the pandemic actually be able to see people got a little bit of sport in so that was good we had a round of golf we're supposed to be two but pulled out of the second round and go-karting so that was interesting so so frank how did the how do you think i did yeah i was gonna say how did the let's talk about the golf and then you can kind of assess how i did (laughs) how jake did okay and the overall sentiment of the golf quality yeah i'm I'm interested one in jake who the bachelor party was for having to tee off on the first hole in front of everyone that i'm very interested in seeing how that went and i really hope he ripped it down the middle he didn't <laughs> oh, come on jake his first tee shot went out of bounds it wasn't oh, it wasn't horrific but it wasn't good. If you see what I mean, like it what, wasn't just. A what was the reaction from Jake? I, he, I think there he kind knew of it was wasn't coming. one. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah, think it was kind just, of wasn't one. I think it was just kind of an acceptance of the fact that yeah, that probably wasn't going to go well. His second one was decent though, so he at least got away from the tee okay. box. It wasn't like uh, just never-ending story of failure. So his second. It one wasn't was just right. like let's just drop it in the fairway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have a video. I have a video of his first tee shot. And actually, it's kind of disappointing because I'm from the side and he, you can tell kind of from his reaction that it's not good, 
but because he actually made okay contact, you can't really tell that it's bad. Like so yeah. the video itself, that's the only thing that really disappointed me from the weekend is that I just didn't get a, a video that clearly showed him hitting it out of bounds. Just set him up. Now what about next- Sam's opening drive? Uh, didn't go very far. I'm trying to like picture what happened. Did you go out of bounds? No, you went out of bounds, I think, on your first, and then your second was all right. Yeah, So I, but not far out of bounds. It kind of just went to the side, and I couldn't find it, basically, but it didn't like clear like any of the ha- – it was kind of near the hazard sticks without finding it. But I was pretty happy with it. I, not that one. I mean, you can't be happy with uh, one hitting the hazard sticks, but uh, the second one was okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it was Sam's golf was all right. He came into this obviously not having played a lot. He and I were against each other. It was um Ryder Cup format for two teams and we were on opposing teams. We were an odd number, so I was playing by myself against Sam and another another player. And in the end, I won by two you, holes. You didn't want to call him a player. <laughs> No, I did. Another human with golf clubs. Well, I was trying. To, I was. I was, I was going to say person, or but I yeah. Anyway, but and he was. It was kind of a similar situation. None of us had played a lot of golf recently. In particular, he was is not really a golfer, and then also hadn't played recently. So, I mean, I think he shot around one hundred and sixty to one hundred and seventy. Oof. So it was really me and Sam against each other. He did have maybe the other guy had like two okay holes. Most of his holes were 10 plus. He had a couple of, he had the ability to hit the ball well. So every once in a while he strung a couple of, a couple together. But yeah, particularly off the tee, he struggled. At one moment he took, I think, eight tee shots on the, on the <laughs> hole. And I think the combined distance was maybe eight yards. So it wasn't he was hitting it out of bounds. He was like just glancing them and air shotting them. It was, oh. yeah. Eddie, what was your longest drive? I had two good ones. I had two. I had one into the wind, which I really nailed a par four. It was like a three hundred about four hundred yard par four, and I managed to get with the wind coming hard directly into us. I managed to get pin high on two, which I was I was legitimately really wow. pleased with. But then, uh, I probably my my longest one. I probably had one that was a around three hundred, but I didn't really hit the ball very well. Ooh, there was some disappointing. There, there was some good shots in there though. Like uh, there was a water hole um, where there was water on the right, and Eddie, basically already saying this is going clean in the water, proceeds to play a beautiful straight drive over the water, as in. This is wide right, the water. So he proceeds to it onto the other golf, <laughs> onto the other um, well, hole, I stood, I st- and then proceeds to like top it about ten yards, I think, next time. And proceeds to make well, the loudest tree hitting noise I've heard. <laughs> no, well, no. So I stood in the tee box and I said, "This has water written all over it," because I tend to fade the ball anyway. Like my natural, even if I'm hitting the ball well off the tee, I'm I'm fading it normally. And then the the wind was coming left to right, so it's like even if even if I control this, I was definitely not confident enough to try and draw it because that wasn't working at all. So it's like I have to do what I do naturally. It's like even if I hit a good one, the wind's going to take it with it and the water. So I was like, I stood there, I was like this has water written all over it, and then hit it and was like that's in the water. And in the end, it got just a little further right on the opposite fairway, but with a clean view. 
and I walked up with my fire five iron. I left my bag on the other side. I was like, oh, this has actually worked out pretty well. I have a nice angle into the green and then proceeded to just top the ball and it went 10 yards. And then at that point I'd given myself no angle and I just had a bunch of trees in front of me, but my bag was maybe 30 to 35 yards away from me on the other side of the water. And I couldn't be bothered to go and walk and get my pitching wedge, which is, I should have at that point just laid up. So I was like, I'm going to go for the miracle one in a thousand shot that I can now get a lot of loft on my five iron and kind of fade it around these trees. And then this time I absolutely nailed it, but just straight into the trees and was like, well, that's lost. So kind of ruined my score on that hole, but I knew it was coming. <laughs> and then we had the go-karting, which was, I think, one of the most physically challenging tests most people involved in the stag had ever had to endure. <laughs> now, yes, yeah, this is what I want the clarification on. What kind of go-karting are we talking about? How, like, What was the speed? What was the size of the car? What was the track? So it was a two-story track. So you had to go up a ramp and you got onto a second level. And okay. the top the top level was like mostly straights. It was where you're going to do your overtaking and really get speed. The bottom level was a lot of tight turns. Um, the cards were pretty big. I don't know what speed they got to, but it was pretty quick. Yeah, I mean, no idea. Definitely weren't. They weren't like children's go karts. Like you were, you were able to to get up to a decent speed. We didn't really. Okay. They never told us how fast you could go. Um, but it was really hot. I can speak for myself and say that we'd obviously been up late on the Friday night and this was Saturday morning and I quickly drank a bottle of water before we went in, but that was the only liquid I had consumed in the morning. So I was probably dehydrated going into it and then putting myself in a jumpsuit and a balaclava and gloves and a helmet in an enclosed You had to put yourself space. in a jumpsuit and a helmet? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Requirement. And with all of that, and then in an enclosed the space. What's the a requirement? Just, what is that aesthetic. protecting you aesthetic. from? Fire? Aesthetic. It, it's aesthetically <laughs> pleasing. But yeah. Yeah, they're just laughing was, at you as you're drenched in sweat. It was so hot. <laughs> and I remember we did the, so we did like a practice slash qualifying where you're going to try and set your best time and then figure out where you're going to start on a grid. So that was 10 minutes. And I remember we finished that and... I was not feeling good. Like I felt super dehydrated <laughs> and there was no break. You just stopped and then they were telling you where to go on the grid. And I remember Jake was next to me and it was very loud, but I was trying to say, I'm like, it's so hot. I just had to keep screaming. And I genuinely at that moment had to run through my head. I was like, I don't know if I can do this. And I had just told myself I've got to. Like I don't... I'll keep going. If I faint in this go-kart, I'm going to do it. And then we started this race, which was a 30-minute race. Basically, a lap took 30 minutes, a lap took a minute, and it was a, and whenever the winner had completed 30 laps, the race was over. And it was, it was grueling. I did not feel good. By the end of it, I was mentally and physically exhausted to the point that I did not care if people overtook me on the final couple of laps. I think six people gave up over the course of the race. I was in I was in last place of the people still on the track, and the only reason I kept going was I knew that I wouldn't finish dead last as long as I literally just stayed out there. But I don't know how you felt, Sam, but it was not it was not pleasant. I, 
I mean, it was also just a realization that you got these moments in the race where you thought like, this isn't comfortable. And then you realized it had only been like six minutes or you, and then you started to lose concept of time and you realized I'm just <laughs> going round tight corners, getting shunted. And this is becoming really demanding. And then I remember so one, um, quick. Yeah. Any of you guys, whose guy's name was quick. Oh my yeah. God. So no they, oh, Come on. oh, we've all got, we've all got lads names. <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, here's the thing, right, is with go-karting, weight is going to decide a lot of it right from the start. Frank, remembering you're, the... You're Frank, oh, Frank, I knew going into it. an uphill ramp that basically Eddie is like Bowser in Mario Kart, and you've got people going up. the same thing. <laughs> I'm just picturing Eddie as Bowser. Like... You've got people going fast as like Toad or Peach. But obviously Eddie on the downhill is like, people died on the down. There were two of us where two guys who we were kind of both new going into it, he and I, based on size, that we just had no chance. And then we did we did accept that we were we were Bowser and Donkey Kong. And then our only and I had driving by Oh, there was little boxes everywhere that gave you stuff as well. It's great. The only frustrating thing is it was like a no no bumping rule. They wanted you to drive. And I've, you know, I did the co-karting in July where they were super strict. Like if you ever tried to, like they were treating you like you're a Formula One driver. If there was not space for you or you were trying to cut someone else off or you weren't holding your line, you were getting pulled off. (laughs) Not pulled off, but... Told to stop racing. <laughs> yeah, told to stop racing. It was a really weird French quirk. <laughs> yeah. But in this one, they told us not to do that. I got a warning for bumping midway through the race, which really annoyed me because people were just ramming into me. The guy who was towards the end of the race, the guy who we had decided I was in some combination, we were Bowser and Donkey Kong. I was just holding him off with him behind me. And then we came to a turn. He just decided he wasn't going to stop and he was going to use the back of my cart as the only way to slow down. And he gave me genuine, I bounced out of the seat. <laughs> like it did not feel good. <laughs> but, but, uh, no, I think but it was fun, but it was, I, it, it was tough. Grueling. No, it's grueling. Grueling is a word. It was an endurance thing going on. I think I finished fourth. Something like fourth or fifth. Fourth yeah, or you fifth. did all right. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, did all right. But again, it's one of those things where I, I was bumped to a couple of points, but I never had to like raise the hand to say that I was, I had spun round. If you spun well, that, round, you're not coming anywhere near. Well, this is what annoyed me too. So you, you've got the marshals standing at like key points. Who, so if you crash into the barriers, they come and pull, because you can't reverse, they come and pull you away so you can do this. And they were pretty quick usually. At one moment, a guy crashed into a barrier, crashed me into a barrier. It took him 90 seconds probably to come over and get me while I was just waving my hand in the air. And he came up and he apologized. He was like, sorry, uh, it's hard to see you in that position. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess. But this <laughs> what is do you mean? Job. Facing the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. Trapped on a corner. But uh, it did give me, I know we like to discuss my levels of confidence for ability to do things. Midway through the race, I thought to myself, this gives me even more respect for Formula One drivers because of how 
like hot they obviously are and also how just physically and mentally sapping it is in a way that you don't really think about until you're there and you're having to look all around you at all times. But then I thought to myself, yeah, but they have water that they can drink during the race. So maybe what <laughs> I'm doing is more challenging. I, I love all the while you're in like this car that's going maybe like, I don't know, 20, 25 mile an hour. I don't know actually how fast it was in the context, but you've been beard up in a machine that can like devastate lives like i'm pretty sure lewis hamilton probably has a better experience but it was quite funny all of us oh, I'm pre- no I, i'm pretty sure he has a better i'm pretty sure lewis hamilton really? has a better experience yeah i think that's not a bold statement sam i don't know eddie you did have a bottle of water <laughs> um yes. It was it was funny all of us showing our age though because nearer as the end of the race got kind of closer and closer or the time limit got closer and closer, whenever you got to like near where the pit was, I guess where it ended, it uh, more and more people were like kind of on the edge from our group, and I was thinking to myself like oh it's nearly over it's nearly over, and when I asked all of them what happened they were like oh bad back so i had to come in or like oh my sides really hurt i was like wow this is this is endurance this is physical but peak fitness to me, but this is that was the thing to me it wasn't that wasn't the issue to me the issue was purely heat like that was it like it wasn't an uncomfortable and look i think i was in as uncomfortable a position as most people because fundamentally those go-karts are not meant for people over six foot tall I mean, it's not, my knees were touching either side of the steering wheel. Like it was turning was limited at times because I literally just didn't have the ability to move my hands as much as I needed to. So, but to me, it was just the, it was the heat. And I was just so, I mean, I was, there were moments where as we were going around, I was pulling my helmet down just so my, my mouth was exposed so I could actually try and get some fresh air in, but it was still fun, but challenging in a way I hadn't expected it to be. But yeah, the rest of the evening, it was it was a lot of, I think Ollie and I played out the lowest quality snooker that's ever been seen. Uh, that was fun. Lowest quality, not lowest score. Combined. I think you could have said either one. <laughs> yeah, it was combined. Yeah. Sam and Jake witnessed a sizable chunk of it, and it was it was not good. I mean, it was it was painful to to take part in, let alone watch, and and then yeah, the Saturday night we went out drinking. Jake was in his outfit that had been chosen for him, which was a sort of skin tight black turtleneck, a silver chain, some like kind of capri pants, but and sandals. Uh, it was an interesting look. He. You know, I had fun. It was a good night out drinking. Then Sam and I got back after the rest of them. So his, when, his outfit, I saw a pic of it. It yeah. Was the top half supposed to look like Dwayne Johnson back in the day with the black turtleneck and the necklace? Because that's what so, it looked like. A little bit, yeah. So I think the origin story is that... People he, used to confuse he, him for The Rock. Yes. And now that... Uh, Hey, did you star in that new Jumanji? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, this again. (laughs) Can you smell what the Jake is cooking? (laughs) (laughs) But he, 
I think the origin story is that within his group of friends, they like to prank each other and make up like plan evenings where they say it's going to be like, there's going to be a theme. And then they lie to one of the people within the group about what the theme is. And then they'll go as far as like creating fake Facebook groups where everyone participates saying how much they're looking forward to that theme. And then one person turns up in a costume that doesn't match what everyone else is in. And I think one night they told Jake that it was turtlenecks and chains. And so he'd gone out and bought himself a black turtleneck and a chain and worn it out. But the thing that was embarrassing for him from what I can understand is that he'd gone out and spent quite a lot on his turtleneck and then told them the logic was that he was considering maybe having turtlenecks as part of his overall look and wardrobe in the future. So he thought it was worthwhile <laughs> to buy an expensive one. He went, he went all Steve Jobs. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. And then saw, and then saw how it worked out for Steve Jobs and, and canceled that. <laughs> Oh, you think Jake's gonna get cancer? <laughs> what you mean? Is, what you mean? To no, share? that's why he canceled. Because <laughs> yeah. for the most part, things worked out for Steve Jobs pretty well up until the cancer part. Like life went pretty well for him, and the adoption bit. <laughs> so that's and, what, and then what about like the sweatpants and the? I'll tell you what, and everything would have been okay. I would have not had an issue. The sandals with the socks and the typo sandals that they were that one would have been like a deal breaker so they were kind of like i hate those sandals it was it was awful because they also make that noise where they like squish like they were they made a against the um so it was awful yeah so so i guess to explain it it's the sandals that have like the velcro straps tevas would be the, yeah, okay, the dominant go. the dominant brand if you're American yeah. and if you're a child of the nineties, you will have owned Tevas. They were basically yeah. Tevas. Oof. With socks. Yes. With rainbow like tie-dye socks. Um Yeah, and I think that was also the issue for him there was it was raining at times, so the sandals were not ideal. It was kind of cold, so the sandals also were not ideal. And I also think there's the concept of like going into public bathrooms in sandals is not a nice thought so i think yeah that was the the part of the outfit that was the worst but yeah he got he got pretty drunk and when we sam and i arrived home he wasn't in the kitchen when we were kind of all talking and then he came out (laughs) and it's hard to describe the image that i saw looking at his face but he his eyes were just red and puffy and water everywhere i mean it looked like he'd been are you sure it was water yeah it looked like he'd been crying for hours but just like not even under just under his eyes also like on his eyelids there was just water it was just like like his eyes had been watering just so much basically crying upwards yes and then he i was like jake what what happened to you and he said i've just been throwing up like out of your eyes and and he didn't look great, but he recovered. I mean, he seemed overall not to suffer too much. I think with that, the, the constant theme across the group was maybe if the things organized, not that it was a bad thing, but if the things organized for the morning hadn't always been so early, so you could have got a little bit like one to two hours more of sleep, then the way the weekend work would have actually been very easy to manage. Well, that's the issue with golf on a bachelor party, right? Golf is an early activity, so it really limits. I mean, you have to either be super invested that you're pretty much going to drink the whole night 
not really sleep even, and then just kind of go out and play. Because once you hit that fine line of you're in a deep sleep and then you have to get up at 6, 7 a.m. after a night of drinking, it's rough. Yeah, and I think Sam and I pretty much committed to the idea that we, and Ollie too, we just kind of kept things going. Uh, Sam and I were sharing a bed, so uh, it was a double bed, but not that big of a double <laughs> wow, bed. Wow, where's the spoiler was, on that? It was it was not a big double bed. <laughs> no. And then things got even more interesting on the Saturday night when uh, we came home from a club with Sam, Jay, Ollie and I arrived home drunk together, and Ollie, who had been sleeping on a sofa, asked if he could also sleep in our bed. So on Saturday night, the, <laughs> the three of us shared a bed. And no. I'll put it there. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I'll say this. With three of us in the bed, it was basically if we lied just dead still, you didn't touch. But as soon as you moved, you were touching someone. And I don't, I'm not saying Which that in way a bad way. Which do you way, think the it... sleeping arrangement was? Like, where did you think people were in the bed? Like, left, middle, right? Oh, Sam, you're absolutely in the middle. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> You didn't even have to ask that because I already knew that image. <laughs> but I will say, Saturday night was the best sleep I got over the course of that weekend. So, you know. We're learning about Sam, Eddie. Sam's like a little furnace. <laughs> oh, wow. That sounds like an interesting bachelor party. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it was good. And... And also got to watch. Then on the Sunday, we got back to London. We went to uh, watch uh, all of, went to a bar. Oh, yeah. Where was, how was the place you went? Did they I have like, all, was, the, all the games up and stuff? They only had, they had, a, their main coverage was the red zone. And then they had, they had Perfect. a lot of screens, but it was red zone. And then there was one, like the main game of the night was going on at the same time. But That's fine, though. As we long were, as you have red zone. We were just watching bar. red zone. And the bar was good? though yeah like fun bar to watch it yeah yeah you'll a lot of americans watching nfl no it was the standard random groups of english people in a random assortment of jacksonville jaguars (laughs) oh oh who was it in who was it in front of us it was packers dolphins dolphins yeah in in front of us we had in front of us we had a group of six people sitting one of them was in a rogers jersey one of them was in a tua jersey uh one burn that them. one <laughs> yeah uh Bad and investment. yeah it, it was, but yeah it was it was just a, you know it's that weird kind of overall vibe yeah but but the bar was nice i mean you'll definitely when we go to ascot it will definitely be a place that we go to to, to watch sports it's good Sweet. and today or yesterday i guess no it was today i came back i'm trying to today coming back i went through Vauxhall obviously to get back and every time I go through Vauxhall, I just get the strong Royal Ascot vibes just because obviously we've stayed there on multiple occasions. And, and when, I got off to cha- when I got off to change trains, I definitely had that, oh, so close to where some of the, <sighs> the best weeks of my life have happened. Now, did any of you go to um, King's Cross? Did you did you change through there? Uh, well, I mean... I took the Eurostar. Oh yeah, that's right. Did you? I forgot about that. Did you check and see if the the pie man is still there? The pie guy? Oh, no, because it was at night, and then oh. the, today, today was in the morning. But we did go to the Big Chill, the origin of our name. Sam and I on last Wednesday got 
drinks at the Big Chill. But the nighttime vibe at the Big Chill is very different to the daytime vibe. Yeah. It's so weird. Very different atmosphere. It is night and day. Both literally literally and figuratively. Now, I do have a story from my travel aspect of it because on the day of going out, there was a bomb scare at the station. So just there was just carnage there in terms of like trains were being canceled. You can't say that. (laughs) You can't say there was a bomb scare. There was carnage. (laughs) All right. Not the kind of carnage. There was just bodies everywhere. Just limbs (laughs) hanging off the the lampposts. Okay, not actual on, bomb on the lighter side. On the lighter side of Eddie's journey, <laughs> trains were dead in Yeah, um, and I turned up, and it kind of ended up working out well for me in some respects because basically what they did was they canceled all of the scheduled Eurostars, and then they were just filling them and sending them. And because I was, a, I got to the station two hours early, I ended up getting on a train that was actually earlier than I was expected to get on. So that didn't work out badly, but. I got my ticket and I got my rescheduled ticket. It was all first come, first serve. People lose their minds as soon as that gets said. As soon as the announcement was made, hey, all scheduled trains are canceled. You are guaranteed a ticket, but it's now first come, first serve. You have to go to a a place and they will reassign you a ticket on an upcoming train. People lose. it's, It's like it's the last chopper out of Vietnam. All of a sudden, people are sprinting, like bumping into each other. Even then, once they... So that was not a, that was not pleasant, and people. It's fascinating to watch because you just watch families just disintegrate in front of your eyes, and couples like the amount of couples you saw. Always the dynamic was the man shouting at the woman for not being fast enough or holding him up or whatever. I mean, was it, it just, just you? Was it just you shouting at random women? Yeah. <laughs> Why are you holding me back? But I mean, literally at one Get moment I was standing way. in the, literally at one moment I was standing and it was just a, a boyfriend and girlfriend. And then and the guy said, you said you'd be fucking five minutes. That was six fucking minutes. Now we're not going to get on the train we wanted to get on. It's just like, just rage. And, and then uh, I get my reassigned ticket. I go into the, the, the business lounge. I walk in and I said, like, hey, it doesn't tell me what time this train is leaving. Do you still come and tell me when the train goes? The guy working says, yes. And I said, I have one additional question, which is, do you know if the trains are running at the same speed or are they delayed? So just because I'm trying to tell someone in London when he needs to meet me. And he just looks at me and goes, I'm not the driver. It's such a good comeback. And I was like, I understand that you're not the driver, but I thought as you work for Eurostar, you might have a sense of as to whether these are delays. And now it's the case of the questions are running at full speed. The trains are running at full speed, but they're just not running as frequently. Or are these delays? Is there a knock on effect from these delays? And he just went, I have no idea. And so then I get onto the train and I ask the person, one of the people working on the train, the exact same question. And he says, oh, I can't possibly predict what time we'll arrive. And I was like, yeah, but you must have a sense of, I was like, D- I'm not going to hold you to it. I'm not going to get angry if you're wrong. I just want to be able to send a text message to someone and give them a ballpark figure. And is, is there a chance this takes two and a half to three hours or is this going to take four to five hours? And he said, oh, I, I couldn't possibly tell you, sir. 
And I was like, just, just give me an idea. You must have a sense of, of what, what we're dealing with here. He said, no, 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 I can't make the prediction. It was such a frustrating moment of just, I get it. You don't want to tell people it's going to be three hours and then people start getting angry when it's three and a half. But in this instance, it was like, just, just help me out. But in the end, it was all fine. But people, when you watch things go wrong for people when they travel, it is when you see the true character of humanity. Oh, yeah. You want a good snapshot of America? Go to an airport. <laughs> and actually, that was the other bit. I got on, and so uh, I had my ticket, but you didn't have an assigned seat in the in the business section, but obviously there, were no, there weren't going to be more people on the train than there were supposed to be. So it wasn't – you didn't have to, like, fight for a seat. But I got on, and then there were only fours available when I got on. It's sort of the four seat, four seaters, and I didn't really want to sit in a four seater with random people. But there was one handicap seat, and I said to the guy, uh, "Can I sit here?" And obviously, if a, a disabled person gets on, I'll get up. Or would you like me to just not sit there at all and to leave it unoccupied? And he goes, "Oh no, no, you can sit there. And if you if you want to, if someone gets on who needs it, then just get up and take another seat. But it's your risk because maybe." another seat another there's a better seat now than you'll get if you get forced up at the last minute and i was like it's a bet i'm willing to make i'll, I'll take my chances i sit down he's staying there and then and then you hear like you know how they have to drop down that ramp so that someone in a wheelchair <laughs> you start hearing that noise and then he looks at me and again a line that probably didn't come out the way he would have wanted it to he just looks at me and goes, they're coming <laughs> and I got up. Maybe it's just a ruse because he wanted the seat. Maybe he activated no, 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 the see. wheelchair ramp. I, I saw the person who got on. They they did you needed this? Did you look at the them additional and space? Try and assess. Okay, so you assessed them <laughs> to whether they needed the space or not. They were in a wheelchair, so they needed the additional space. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I wasn't going to challenge anyone on how disabled they were, but certainly this was obvious. They definitely needed that seat. But yeah, fun weekend. And obviously, yeah, we got to watch the uh, the NFL on Sunday. And I guess maybe we can jump into our reaction there because the, the big excitement uh, from a betting perspective, I think the Bengals probably ruined just about everyone's bets. I think the world just lost on a number of combinations of like money line parlays or accumulators or whatever anyone is doing. I think probably most people have had the Bengals in there at some point. Obviously Sam as a, as a Bengals fan, he was, he was more invested in the game watching a Bengals game with him, which was dominating red zone, obviously because of it being a close game and story. Yeah. Sam was much more invested than I thought he was. There was fist bumps going on when first downs were being picked up and things. It Fisting was, it was or fist bumps? Both. You know what he but said. I was, <laughs> I was only watching the bumps. I thought yeah. he said fist, fist ups, I thought he said. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I, I was I was enjoying it because we didn't get there to watch like near the start part, but, you know, they were they were on that comeback. What They got it back to like 31-20. Burrow was throwing well, and then all of a sudden, these Jets, 
They like picking a team that's on a good roll, don't they? <laughs> Taking them down. Bengals, Titans. No, it was it was a really bad throw of the game. Yeah, just, I, I mean, yeah, they they played poorly. I will say the talking point though is the unnecessary roughness helmet hit call that gave yeah, the Jets the, the first the down when they would have stopped them. The lowering the helmet, which is dumb. I mean, we, we we've talked we've talked about this regularly where if you're a defender and you're going low to hit someone and then that defender puts their head down, how on earth can that be a penalty on the defensive player? And I think at, at a point, if the NFL is actually serious about these helmet to helmets, they need to start enforcing it the other way because you never see a call on the offensive player, especially running backs do it a lot. Well, they'll put their head down and they will use their head to drive through someone. And that is equally dangerous from the standpoint of you using your head to go through someone versus a defender trying to use their head to knock you down. It's the same thing. And that should have been on the Jets player and not on the defender. That was a terrible call. What Does it cost them the game? Tough to say they should have been winning anyway. Oh. They did not play well enough up to that point. But it certainly you know gets them the ball back and gives them a shot. Yeah, I mean, I'm torn on the... So I... I... You know, as to who's initiating the contact, I think in this instance, it was pretty clear it's the offensive player. They're both lowering their helmets. So I guess the argument you could say, which you do in a lot of sports, right, is it's a mistake on from both players' perspective because you're giving the officials the chance to call it against you. I think that is, that's the risk. So even if you were a Bengals, like if you're the Bengals defensive coordinator, you'd walk away from that and say, hey, look, maybe you are hard done by, but if you're going to open the, the door to the possibility of being called for it, you've done that. Like, I agree with you. They have to call both. In that particular instance, I would have felt like the appropriate call is probably offsetting penalties and replay the down to me, just because both players have lowered their helmets. And if you really want to take it seriously, then in that instance, maybe you're ejecting both players and saying offsetting penalties and replay third down. But it definitely seems unfair that it, it continuously is just called on the defensive team. And I 100% agree with you. It's not as if it's any more damaging when a defensive player does it than when an offensive player does it. The, the risk is exactly the same. Um, and if anything, in some respects, you could argue sometimes maybe it's more dangerous when the off the offensive player is doing it because it's much more likely than that he is a moving object coming into a stationary one. So in some respects, you're more likely for them to be able to kind of plow through and be less damaged than the person they're inflicting the damage upon will be. But it was surprising. And obviously the storyline too, for the Bengals, it feels a little bit as if it was two or three steps backwards after such a good performance against the Ravens. So they kind of started to put themselves into a, the, are they legitimate? I'm not going to say Super Bowl contenders, but a playoff threat, certainly to then this felt like, well, now where do we put them? Because they've lost to a pretty bad Jets team. And then obviously from the Jets' perspective, it, it's opened a, a can of worms from a QB controversy standpoint because you have a very high draft pick who was highly thought of coming into the season who hasn't performed well. And then 
you have a totally unheard of player who steps in, gets his first NFL start, throws for four, over 400 yards, becomes the first Jets player since the year 2000 to have over 400 yards, catches a touchdown. Overall, just seemed to be a much more charismatic leader than you've seen from Wilson so far. And just opens a whole bunch of questions of, and we've discussed it before with, you felt sorry for Wilson that he was kind of a victim of circumstance in such a bad team. And then now you start to think, is the team a victim of circumstance that they had such a bad quarterback? Yeah. Okay. It's not a good look for Wilson, but it's a one game. It's a very small sample size, right? I think he's white is definitely going to play next week because Wilson's still out. So you'll get at least a sample size of two. If he goes out again and puts up that kind of performance, then you do have to start questioning, you know, was it Wilson just not the system not being good or was it him just not doing great? You know, I, and it's, it's, it is not a good look though for him. And I think if you're him, you're sitting back there kind of thinking, uh Oh, maybe I got to get my ass in gear a little bit here and, and put out a good performance when I come back. But I mean, you don't give up on your number, what number two pick overall that quickly, but it, it makes you no. question a little bit. It does. And, and I, I agree with you. If he goes out on Thursday night and plays really well against another pretty good team in the Colts, then it creates real issues because it's also not as if he was coming out. He won't have had two good performances against the Dolphins and you know the yeah. Jags. He'll have done it against, you know, you expect the Bengals to make the playoffs. There's a good chance the Colts make the playoffs too. So if you have those performances yeah. against pretty good teams and pretty good defenses, I mean, you, you're talking about a Bengals defense that looked good against the Ravens and then yeah. couldn't stop him to save their lives. So what do you, I am. What, sorry, what did the Jets do about that though? Because, you know, you're going to nearly halfway through the season. You start thinking about kind of how many losses you've got relative to the picks you've got. So do they kind of think, have we found a gem that we had no idea about in a second start a quarterback and play and maybe I win think some you... more games and get a bad pick? Or do you keep going with Wilson knowing that there was some semblance of talent that you saw there and maybe keep losing and get better picks? Like what's the, but you gamble on more of his future. Well, either way, media. either way, Sam, it's not like they're selling in the string eight wins together. Like they're, no, they're going to well, get, of course. and if they did, I mean, they're doing well. <laughs> like, I, I don't know how you feel because I mean, I guess it depends what you've seen behind the scenes. If they feel like what he did on Sunday is something they have seen in practice and so they think maybe it's kind of legitimate, then you hope that he goes out and continues it and think maybe we have Tom Brady and we have this guy who no one really thought of and he, you know, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I know, I know what you mean. <laughs> but if that seemed like the anomaly, then I think if you're Robert Sala or if you're the Jets GM, I think secretly you're probably hoping that on Thursday night he goes out and has an absolute yeah. stinker. I think we revisit this after Thursday night's game and uh, you'll have a much better picture for that. Now, Eddie, you said that the Bengals pretty much ruined everyone's bets, but there was one interesting bet placed over this weekend where someone in Atlantic city bet a thousand dollars on Mike white to be the leading passer yards for the this week in the NFL and the odds were 125 to 1. So $1000 to win 125,000. 
What's interesting is there's actually some backstory about this, which makes it a, a pretty good talking point. So first off, off podcast, we had talked about, are those odds too short? Are they right? What do you think? He wasn't the worst in that category. He was actually fourth worst. Behind him were Justin Fields, Davis Mills, and Case Keenum. Case Keenum didn't even play, so I guess that one gets voided out. But he was not the worst one on that list, which is, I guess, slightly surprising. But when you think about the Jets are probably going to be down the whole game, you think he's probably going to throw a lot, so maybe he can accumulate. So 125 to 1. He placed the bet because he was visiting his family in Atlantic City, who lives near Atlantic City, and then was going to the game on Sunday. So he said he went to Atlantic City and just put on a bet that he thought was a really long odds bet that would be something kind of crazy he could cheer for when he was at the Jets game watching. So that's why he put it on. It it doesn't say this rich man says this, but (laughs) I mean, it it, it Steve Steve Jobs. I'm sure he is not super hurting for money, but it seemed like he he thought instead of putting like 500 on the Jets to cover, he'd rather just go for like a you know, a crazy bet to so to strike gold. What I'll say about that is he either is hopefully doing very well for himself, so he's in a situation where he can just lose the thousand dollars and not feel it, or he has a real gambling problem. And he's, I think it's the first one. <laughs> and he, I think it's it, more likely the second one. Well, fr- from the way it sounded like he kind of was just going to the game and he wanted, he said, I wanted to be fun to have something to root for while I was there. The Jets are so terrible. I figured they'd be behind the whole game and have to throw the ball a bunch. So it seemed like an okay bet. Now, Wait, yeah, maybe. Did, did, yeah, maybe, but it's easy to say that when it happens, right? Yeah, and that's the kind of thing you would say if someone asked you to explain your logic, no matter what your logic had been, because you're never going to be able to sit there with a straight face and say, I saw it coming. Do you think at any point when you put that when you put that thousand dollars on for 125 to one, do you go around telling people and say it's a dumb bet, but or do you wait until the realization that it could come in and then start going to people like, guys, I I may have something here. (laughs) I may have something here and start semi gloating. Like I knew it because of this. I thought that was going to happen. Like how do you, I, I wouldn't say I put a stupid it. bet. I would say like, I, I just put like, I just put a crazy bet on, you know, like, I think you say exactly what he just said. And you're a real asshole. If you're privately telling people, no, I knew it would happen. And their public message is, I just was doing it for a little bit of fun. But I think, I think you just say what you say. And I th- I think you probably don't really tell people about it until it looks like it's it has close. a chance. Yeah. yeah. Like at the beginning of the game, people have been like, well, that's just dumb. Like, why didn't you just give me a thousand dollars? It's must suck for that casino. Cause I bet you that market probably doesn't have enough liquidity. Not that casinos struggle. Right. But they probably that's lost money loss. on, they lost money on for that sure. market. Yeah. So now here's the other interesting part of this. Monday afternoon, before the Monday night game, where you have Daniel Jones and Patrick Mahomes still potentially able to beat Mike White's passing yards, he put the ticket. Patrick up Mahomes. On... Patrick Mahomes. Sorry, Daniel Jones. Dan... No, no, I mean Daniel Jones is never going to throw for four hundred yards, even against that terrible Chiefs defense. Well, I, mean, I, I guess you could say that, that you would have but... said the same thing about White, but yeah. 
He put the ticket up for sale on PropSwap, which is a secondary market where pending wagers can be bought and sold. His initial asking price was $120,000. So he went for $5,000 under. Apparently, the top bid was $70,000 is what they were willing to get. So he had basically a physical cash-out offer of $70,000. Do you take it? That's my Knowing question. Mahomes. Knowing, as, like you say. Knowing the game. Saying, exactly. Would knowing Mahomes hit 400-plus yards? I, I wouldn't. I, I just feel like, actually, no. You know what? I would. Knowing Mahomes for kind of the opposite reason for knowing Mahomes as the QB over the past like three or four years as opposed to knowing Mahomes over the last four or five games. Can you please stop saying knowing Mahomes? Mahomes. You have said knowing Knowing Mahomes Mahomes. six times (laughs) in the space of 10 seconds. So how many times do you think Mahomes has thrown for 400 or more yards in a game? This season or in his career? In his career. In his professional career, not college. I'd say three or four. Five. And I'd say this this season's zero. Yeah, so he's thrown for five times in his in his life. And so to me, the fact that this season, I wouldn't have been worried about it, to be perfectly honest. I would have felt, I think I probably hedge it slightly just with personal bets. Like I maybe do a thousand on Mahomes over 400 yards. What I would probably would have done was try and hedge it with a way where you could win both. So I'd have looked at whatever the over-under for Mahomes' yards were predicted for that game. Say, it was 302. You know, okay, so I would have taken the over on the 302 and then hoped in a perfect world I'm going to get 350 yards from Mahomes and I win both of these. So Eddie is correct. Mahomes has not thrown for 300 this season. He threw for 397 against Washington. Now imagine it had been that game. How nervous would that have when if you were coming down to like the final drive being like Mahomes just needs seven more yards to beat me. That would have been awful. You're just rooting for I think at that point you're just rooting for pass interference. You know, you'd rather they just get like sixty yard pass interference than completions. Now alternatively Yeah, Eddie, on that note, I guess we can You want you want to rip on Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones has thrown for 400 yards this season. So he would have been your worry this season. Sure. <laughs> he wouldn't have been, though. But, but yeah, I mean, I guess that, that you know, I, th- I think the Chiefs and the Bengals are really the two big talking points from, I think the Chiefs, the Bengals, and the Patriots. Because I think the Patriots win against the Chargers. I mean, I've doubted the Chargers all year, right? I, I do think the Patriots are showing themselves to be a pretty capable team. Like they're, you'd think at this point, they're probably going to put themselves in a position to be, make the playoffs. And if they make the playoffs, they're not going to be an easy out, but the Bengals and the chiefs were the big talking points. The chiefs, I mean, I had them as my survivor pick. The Bengals were the overwhelming, overwhelmingly the most popular survivor pick. It took out basically 200 people from my survivor. So that was awesome. And then I had to sweat out the Monday Night Football, which, I mean, the Chiefs, there were multiple moments in that game where it felt like I kept thinking to myself, you kind of flip back to thinking it was the old Chiefs and you thought, okay, this game's over. Like they would get a stop 
and then you're like, okay, they're going to go drive. For example, when they got the, the field goal to put themselves three points ahead, there was a moment where you're like, well, they're going to score a touchdown here, and that's pretty much game over. And then they just end up with a field goal, and then you think, well, they should be able to stop, get a stop anyway to end the game, and you think, well, their defense really sucks. So I don't know if I'd rather be the Giants or the or the Chiefs right now, but it's hard to explain just how bad they are. I think it's actually pretty easy to explain. Now, watching a few of these games, I mean, for as much as I love Patrick Mahomes, he does not look good. And I don't mean that in the sense that he's kind of making those crazy throws that maybe he shouldn't. But when you watch the tape, he's missing a lot of open people. I mean, uh, I forget who the announcers were for the Monday Night Football game, but there was multiple times where they're like, oh, Mahomes has so-and-so 10 yards in the flat. Oh, no, wait, he's trying to, oh, he's lost the ball. You know, like there was at least seven or eight plays where he had a clear wide open person and just either didn't see him, didn't, didn't feel comfortable making the throw. Like he is just not playing the level that he used to be at last year and the year before. I mean, it, he does not look good and it's, it hurts to watch a little bit because you used, you're used to Mahomes, you know, making all these throws, hitting all these open receivers and he's just not. Yeah. I think you also, he looks panicked. He has happy feet in the, in the, in the backfield. You'll see, whereas like the pocket won't be collapsing, but he's immediately starting to roll out on a play where that's obviously not a designed rollout. And it's kind of crazy to watch. Like within two seconds, he'll suddenly be trying to avoid pressure that kind of isn't there. And that's the thing. And that's where you're then seeing he's having to improvise and it's kind of selling his offensive line down the river in the sense that it makes them look bad because it looks as if they're not able to protect him. But in reality, he has moved away from the place they're trying to protect. And then also for his receivers, it means that they are instantly having to react to a quarterback who is now improvising a play. And that's part of what the Chiefs were so good at. But it's it's not useful when you're doing it all the time. I mean, their refusal to run the ball, though, is also crazy. I mean, the Giants just played two deep safeties all game and were daring the Chiefs to run the ball. And whenever the Chiefs ran the ball, they actually picked up five, six yards. And yet the Chiefs insisted on 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 just having Mahomes drop back and try and throw it. I mean, I've seen, I think the stat that I saw this morning was that the Chiefs have the fifth most expend, uh, most uh, successful run offense so far, but then their run tendency, they're 31st in the league in terms of actually calling running, running, run plays. Now, there's maybe an argument to be made that when you don't call as many, the sample size is smaller. So if you have a big, someone pulls off a big run, then it, it makes the stats look better. But still, just I don't get it. When you have Mahomes struggling, run the ball and also try and set up manageable second downs. It feels like every time you're watching them, they're second and 10. Like that's it, a guarantee, basically. Yeah, third and 12. Yeah. <laughs> and they got bailed out right on the drive that allowed them to go ahead in that game with the the face mask call that wasn't a face mask. Stupid 
stupid penalty. Yeah. I, I mean, you can say that they weren't that lucky, but I honestly think they were very lucky to win that game. The only thing I'll give you the benefit of the doubt on is when the Giants had the ball with time left on that final drive, I knew they were not going to drive. The, the, the Giants are just one of those teams, and Daniel Jones is one of those QBs. I mean, I think he has like two or three career comebacks. Well, that was, but as soon no, as that was the crazy. You're, you're done. That was, you know, like, and, before you do that, that was the crazy thing when Mahomes got the ball back and then with a the go ahead drive. I think it said he had eight fourth quarter or overtime game winning drives. And then when Daniel Jones got the ball, I think he has three. I think it said three or four. Three. It's crazy, right? That Mahomes has only has eight and he has three. Now the problem for Mahomes is they're usually ahead. So you don't get the it's sure. you don't have the chance yeah. to have the go ahead and drive. But it is sort of crazy where you go like, well Mahomes yeah. is way better, but they're kind of statistically having the same rate of comeback game winning drives. That was a bit weird. Yeah. No, I agree. But then like you, the Giants are just one of those teams. I, there's not many now, I think, in the NFL that when you have two minutes left on the ball and you run your hurry up offense, you can see almost any team being able to get in field goal range. It's it's unbelievable. I feel like every time we watch a game now and a team's down by two, you see them instantly get 40 yards on three plays and they're close to field goal range. With the Giants, it's like, Oh, here's going to come a holding, a terrible pass in the middle for two yards, and then two terrible passes, and they're done. And it's exactly what happens. It's it's so pathetic to watch. So that, yeah. But the other big talking, they could have won that have. game. I mean, there was two interceptions that got called. Well, here's back. the one thing I hate. <laughs> a lot of people were saying how lucky, both on social media and also the commentators in last night's game, kept being like Mahomes was lucky on that on the second interception. He knew it was a free play. Like, we have to stop. See, now, I've heard they were arguing that he, he did not. He knew. on that one. He, it wasn't a deep ball. It was just like a 10-yard It was a terrible pass. throw, but he knew it was a free play. I, w- I won't buy that he didn't know that. It was such an obvious instance of a player jumping too early, and the flag came out instantly. I just can't believe that he didn't know. But now, we know that there's the Duca curse. The, I don't know if you've seen Frank, but you are being, there is a curse that is emerging to rival that of your own. I don't know. Have you seen this? Ooh, this is the, this is the Manning cast curse. Every quarterback that so far has appeared on the Manning cast has lost the subsequent week. Wow. Really? so, So far it has taken down. Uh, Tom Brady, Matthew Stafford, Russell Wilson, and I think, and then you can actually even throw in some non-quarterbacks. So uh, Russell Wilson appeared in week one and then lost in week two to the Tennessee Titans. Travis Kelsey appeared in week one, lost week two to the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, Rob Gronkowski appeared in week two, lost week three to the LA Rams. Uh, Matthew Stafford appeared in week three, lost week four to the Arizona Cardinals. Tom Brady appeared in week seven, lost week eight to the New Orleans Saints. And the week eight guest this week was Josh Allen. So will Josh Allen, I think the Bills are the heaviest favorite of the week, 
will Josh Allen be unable to end the Manning cast curse? Oh, no. That's going to be my survivor pick, too. <laughs> that kind of scares me. Wow, that's that's really oh, bold. Boy. And that is the Duca curse and the Manning cast curse combining on a single player. And not that I want this to happen, but... <laughs> the world could end. Josh... <laughs> yeah, it's basically... I mean, that's just chaos theory. We'd... Josh Allen should just bench himself. And just, if he hears this, just <laughs> sit this week out and, and wait for week 10. Yeah. Well, at least I survived this week. Uh, my my dad did not survive his survivor pick this week, and he told me to tell Sam he can shove the bangles up his ass. So, <laughs> Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> he was not happy. <laughs> Yeah, this this week actually also marked the 14-year anniversary of the first NFL game in London. Do you want to take a guess at... Was it... At which... Well, who it was? I'll give you an even more obscure one. Can you guess... Jags? Can you guess the player who scored the first ever touchdown in London? 14. How many years ago? Frank Gore. No. Ah. I'll, I'll give you a. Can you? I'll give you a clue. What are the teams? Is it I'll Jags and who? Clue. No. It's... The his name has been mentioned on this podcast already. This episode, this episode. Yeah. Not, not in the history, not in the hundred and fifty episodes that we've done, but he will have been mentioned several times in the past, and he has been mentioned. So far. Tom Brady. Nope. Sam, you want to guess? What position? Quarterback. Manning. Which one? Peyton. Well, I think the first game had the Giants in. So I'd say it was Eli. Eli Manning. Scored the first ever touchdown. I remember that. Damn. It's pretty good. So it's Giants versus who? Uh, Dolphins were the first game, weren't they? Yes, I believe so. Wow, Sam, you really know your London NFL knowledge. Uh, it helps when you go. <laughs> they well, they the had loads of stuff about yeah. it, like kind of around the stadium and that. Yeah, they do like uh -oh. a load of like. So I, I don't remember seeing it, but obviously the screen was showing like big plays at London games and stuff like that. And also, I remember it being a decent game at the time as well. Like, I think it was one of the better ones in terms of competitive fixtures that actually came over. Yeah. Now. If I know a franchise, it's London. <laughs> now, Sam, you've obviously been pretty quiet on the episode so far. And maybe as we transition now into... So I, for both of you, a little bit of a quiz... But this is obviously, Sam, you have a little bit of an edge here. But obviously one manager in the Premier League lost his job this weekend and got me thinking who, which, which managers have had the most league points in the 21st century. This is, this is not limited to the Premier League. This is a sort of European major leagues. 
European major leagues. So Italy, Spain, kind of Serie Italy, Spain, France, Germany, England. Can I go first? So I've, I've got the top 10. See if you can successfully sure. name someone who features in the top 10. Okay. Ferguson. Alex Ferguson is fourth on the list. 513 <sighs> man, matches managed in the 21st century and 1,132 points. Now, it's pretty impressive that he is fourth on the list considering he retired in, what, 2013? So... Samples, you know, he's there. Are, he, I, he has managed the fewest number of, no, second fewest number of matches of anyone in the top 10. I mean, I've got to go Mourinho. Mourinho is third on the list, managed 561 matches and accumulated 1,194 points. I'll go. Sam's Arsenal. Which manager? As in, Wenger. I got the points. Wenger. Do you mean Sam's Second Arsenal? Second on the list. Like... 702 matches. Yeah. Oh, I'm crushing 1,381 <laughs> points accumulated. So yeah, you've got two, three, and four so far. I might only be able to think of like one more. Well, Sam, you're 2-1 up right now. <laughs> Sam's going to think of another one. Uh, Klopp? Jurgen Klopp is... Sixth on the list, 569 matches, 1,055 points. That was my pick. Well, you know what? Wait, if Klopp's on it, I'm going to go Pep. Yeah. Pep is fifth on the list. (laughs) With the highest points per game haul of anyone here with only 453 matches managed, but 1,093 points. So he is not that far behind Ferguson. He will overtake Ferguson this year. I'm trying to think of Serie Trying to think of like... So you are missing number one, number seven, eight, nine, and ten. It's got to be someone for like... I don't know. Or like Bundesliga. Well, yeah, it's got to be Serie A we've missed and Bundesliga like Bayern Munich. I'm just trying to think of managers that were in the stretch. And Hitzfeld, uh, uh, no. Would you two like me to give a clue? <laughs> so I have a guess, which means that we can have the clue later. Is it kind of one clue for the rest of them? or? Yeah, I think one clue would give you probably one give clue you a, to rule them all. It sh- I think one clue would give you a couple. So let Sam take I'm his guess, gonna, though. Yeah, let me take my guess. I'm going to go Ancelotti. So Carlo Ancelotti is number one on the list. Oh, seven, nice! It was, it was seven hundred and six matches and one thousand four hundred and thirty-four points. Hell of so a time he's managed. Everything. He's managed the most number of matches of anyone on the list. Although the man, the manager who's managed the second most, which is 705 matches, is ninth. Uh, sorry, is eighth and yet to be named. I'm toast now. That's not that clear. So I will give you a clue in that one of them is a current Premier League manager. 
So it has to be someone who predominantly managed elsewhere, though, in another league. He has managed multiple clubs in the Premier League. Has managed oh. elsewhere, but a sizable chunk of his career has been spent in the Premier League. Hmm. I've got nothing. I'll I'll cede to Sam at this point. It's dangerous. I'm trying to go for every Premier League manager at the moment. So I'll tell you, you're missing four. Three of them have managed in the Premier League. Two of them are very famous. One of them is reasonably famous. I would be surprised if you get the one who hasn't managed in the Premier League. I'll say that. He is the only tough one. We've got to go with Conte, right? Not on the list. So, as we've had two incorrect answers, I will give you the remaining missing ones. So, you missed out on Rafa Benitez, Uh, who has 572 matches, 1,013 points. Claude Puel, who is the one who I thought was the one you're unlikely to get, which is 705 matches, so the second most, but only 1,008 points. Who's he the manager for? Uh, he's, I mean, he's made his French. career in 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 the French league. Yeah, okay. He did manage Southampton and Leicester fairly briefly, but current manager Saint Saint Etienne, and mostly managed in 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 France. And then you have Claudio Ranieri, who five hundred ninety three points, nine hundred ninety eight. 593 matches, 998 points, so just outside of the 1,000 club. And the final one is Manuel Pellegrini with 550 matches, 954 points, so former Manchester City and West Ham manager. Yeah. Good list. Yeah, so obviously you mentioned Conte there. He is the new manager of Spurs. Um, they after Spurs had a fairly fairly tepid performance against Manchester United at the weekend, where they I don't know if three 0 was necessarily a fair reflection on the match, but certainly Spurs didn't really look like they were ever going to score, so they definitely deserved to lose. Another you know impressive Ronaldo goal, even though I don't think it was an impressive Ronaldo performance. In a way, I feel sorry for Nuno because I do feel. 17 matches is, is a quick sacking. And he's kind of trying to implement the system that he had at Wolves. And you sort of knew what you were getting to some respects and you needed to give him time to try and build that. And he's probably also not helped by the fact that Harry Kane looks like he wants no part. I mean, he looks totally short on confidence and also doesn't really look like he wants to be there. So the fact that if they'd sold Kane, it might have changed what happened with with Nuno and Spurs. Yeah, I mean, I feel sorry for Nuno as well because you knew exactly what he was doing at Wolves, right? It was very holding midfielder based. They weren't pretty, but it was extremely effective for what he was doing and they built it around that. And then Spurs went through that bit of a, a kind of odd summer where they were trying to get, what was it, the Roma manager? Um who left before Mourinho came in and then that fell through at the last second. And it, you just realise more and more that the Nuno hire felt like a fourth, fifth choice. 
and then they're surprised that after 17 games, the style and the, the, the methodology and the thought process behind it uh, didn't work out. So I feel sorry in that respect. But then again, you know, Nuna had the choice. Maybe, you know, Kane was hugely central to that. Of course he was. But maybe Levy promised him stuff that he didn't deliver as well. Um, I do. Yeah, it's um, it's it's a bit of a weird one. But clearly then Nuno... Uh, kind of approach wasn't working at Spurs. It wasn't galvanizing fans. They weren't believing in the project. Um, so, uh, kind of, let's see what Conte does. Really, I I don't know. If he, but, he looks like the kind of manager that will put the fire in the belly of someone like Kane. Maybe I don't know. I don't know how you can only give a manager like they're they're ninth in the table, and yes, they've only scored nine goals through ten matches. So it's hardly been thrilling to watch. But they're also only five points off the top four now there's nothing to make you think that they're going to be able to get they would have been able to sort of turn things around and get into the top four but there's also nothing to make you think that this was going to be a totally catastrophic season i think they were going to end up finishing top half but maybe missing out on europe as like the worst case scenario under nuno and i just think from 17 matches give a manager also because joining mid-season now you run the risk that conte just isn't able to right the ship over the course of the next 21 matches or whatever it is, whatever is left. And as a result of that, well, 28 league matches, right, left. And as a result of that, he also kind of gets, you kind of go, you, you go through two managers when really it's the life cycle of one. Uh, that would be the concern for me. Yeah. What happens with, what happens with, Kind of what the immediate thing with Conte was that all the talk before that game was kind of whoever loses the the manager of the respective club will probably get sacked and and that wasn't necessarily true but it was the thought process of going into that match like we were talking on the stag about the fact that you know actually we're talking about the podcast as well the the idea that look they would have put feelers out to Conte Manu about saying like look if we laid this in front of you as in Conte's agent. Would they accept it? Would they go for it? And do you get the feeling that it was so easy to get Conte that Manu said no and Solskjaer was safe? No. Or do you think Conte would have waited for the Manu job <laughs> wait, a wait, little bit longer? Do you think, do you think that, so he wants this too I'm, much? Yeah, like, hey, do you want this job? And if he responds the text message too quick, they're like, oh, he's way too eager. We don't need this, him. No, no, this, it, no, no, no. Honestly, this is such an insight into your mind, Sam. I think you've just revealed your own. You're like, hold on. If I seem, if I want this too much, the person's going to be put off by me wanting it. No, hey, do, but hey, do you, you don't this? respond yeah, yeah. to texts. Yeah. yeah. Do you want this job? Yeah, you need people. Maybe. <laughs> okay, this guy seems good. He's <laughs> but, not sure. But my point is that look, man, you is. A, a, a like more glamorous job or at least more high profile than the Spurs job and I would have thought given Kane's scenario given the where Spurs are at the moment Levy must have promised him a hell of a lot in the January transfer window to sort it but in a way I felt like Conte would have I thought he was going to wait for the Man U job in a way I thought he was probably but told he... like Solskjaer's got a few more games and then now what's the he? Spurs but, but... But ha- no, but the the problem with that, Sam, is how long is he going to wait indefinitely? Because with that win over Spurs and then tonight's draw against Atalanta, so they're almost 
they, the, their qualification for the Champions League is entirely in their own hands. They could well win that group. They should win that group, okay, based on the fact that they have Villarreal and young boys left to play. But in the very least, there should be they have to do something catastrophically bad to blow the position they're now in and not get through in the Champions League. What? When do you think Solskjaer is going to be sacked now? It's not going to be anytime soon. No, no, it has nothing. Take take Conte out of the picture. If you're Conte and you're sitting there and on you've seen on Saturday that United have beaten Spurs 3-0, and then, then you have to assume every time Solskjaer wins a match, it probably buys him five more matches. So the only way it makes sense for Conte to sit this out is if the United job is the only one he wants. And then I guess the other big talking point for the Premier League was obviously City slipping up against Palace. And it's just surprising because it feels like every time City put themselves in a position to start to pull away from the rest of the pack, they then slip up. And so they sort of keep feeling as if they're going to be in that position where, you know, after beating Chelsea, they had that uh, that chance to really separate themselves from a couple of the teams in the mix. And then they lose a game you wouldn't have expected them to lose. I mean, does it really affect your perception of them, considering people like Liverpool are playing? Well, they slipped up as well. Um, but does it change your perception really at the top? Because it doesn't really do anything for me. I think uh, ever since City had that start last season where they went through kind of 10, 12 games pretty poorly and then strung a pretty incredible run, I've never really had a problem with City losing like the occasional game. But um, does it change for you? A little bit. I think my concern for them would be that Chelsea are, are, they are a better team than Chelsea. But I think what Chelsea are very, Chelsea are ruthless. They don't concede a lot of goals and they are going to beat bad teams. So, you know, if you look at, say, the non top six, I think Chelsea will beat the remaining 14 teams pretty much across the board, home and away. And the problem with City slipping up against these other teams, like losing to Spurs, losing to Palace, is you start to then put a lot of pressure on your games against the big teams. And then what they're doing is they're removing pressure. So, so, you know, they're now six points behind, five points behind Chelsea. So you've now, you've given Chelsea at least one pressure-free match. Chelsea can now go through, theoretically Chelsea could tell themselves, we can afford to lose to City. And if we win the remainder of our games, we still win. Like, it is entirely in our hands now. That's easier said than done, and they're not going to do that. But you have, you need to put the other teams in situations where they're playing tough matches. I mean, look, you know, City are away to United this week. I expect City yeah. to win, but United score goals, and they have a lot of players who can turn in big performances. And they've also had a knack of beating City at weird times over the in recent seasons. If City then lose that match, which wouldn't be a stunner, right? That. Ronaldo and some other players put in big performances and United win, you could be eight points behind. I mean, that's going to be a... That's, to me, I'll put it this way. If they're eight points behind after the weekend, they're out of the title race. Oh, I don't know. We've said this before when like Man City are 11 behind. I, I suppose um, Chelsea will slip up at some point. 
I don't know when. I just you can anticipate that slip up happening at some point. They're never going to go through the entire season with the kind of record of only conceding three goals every 10 games like they have at the moment. But I agree with you that this is the classic kind of Solskjaer style game where the victory could come and it makes it much harder for Man City to kind of stop it. But for me, I'm still I'm I'm still gunning for Man City. I I, I don't really I don't really feel like I can mistrust them after kind of this slip up um, in as much as I did last year when basically I checked out of them uh, about 10 games in. So I, I don't think I'll make the same mistake again. But, you know, point taken, right? Chelsea have an easy game against Burnley. You know, you very much expect to win there. Man City have like a classic slip up style game. Chelsea don't look like they're conceding. They look like they're scoring. So it looks really good for Chelsea at the moment. Um but then, you know, there's still Liverpool to contend with. There's still all of these teams playing each other but in the formats. That, but that was going to be my question. Is You talk about Chelsea not conceding with and In second, you have Liverpool, who I think they lead, to, lead the, the league, right, in goals? Yeah, they're, they're, averaging, they're averaging basically three goals a match at the moment. Yeah. They've got 29. And are you just, are you just disregarding them? No, I'm not. Well, I mean, they've drawn three of the last five. I'm despite not, scoring that many but, but this is where i disagree with sam if say results say city lose this weekend they will be level on points with united they will be five points probably say everything goes against them they'll be five say points Eddie. behind liverpool sorry they'll be level on points with arsenal if Arsenal beat Watford. <laughs> okay. I'm, I don't I, even, I my don't even next care comment that. after we talked about this was it's surprising <laughs> we haven't heard oh, about Arsenal sneaking up the table. But you I know w- what? We fucking heard. <laughs> no, I'm not even going to bother saying that because in the same way, I wasn't going to say, oh, they're going to be three points behind West Ham. Like it doesn't even matter. But they would be, say they could be, they could be on Sunday. They could be eight points behind Chelsea, five points behind Liverpool, level on points with United. Yes, you can say, oh, I can see Chelsea slipping up. But you start to get into a position where they can't slip up and they need everyone else to start slipping up. And that's, if it's one team you need to slip up, then maybe you can do that. If you start to need two or three teams to slip up, in a way they can't because they play each other at some point. So you would have said previously, oh, well, when Chelsea play Liverpool, then we can just hope Liverpool beat Chelsea. But in this scenario, I'd be like, well, whoever wins has done well, so... There's kind of no no good scenario for us here. I will if they lose to United this weekend, they're out of the title race. Assuming Chelsea and Liverpool win what look like winnable matches, I wouldn't go that far. But I would say that I'm starting to think that two of the three relegation places are already sorted. I I do honestly think Newcastle will go down the way they're playing at the moment and the lack of. I don't think you can say that. They're six points from safety, and they're going to spend money in January. So, so until it gets about Emery going to them as well, uh, and I Emery coming back to the Premier League. In, until that gap, until that gap gets to around ten points, I'm, it's not good for them, and they only have four points through ten matches. So obviously, they're on course for a catastrophic season. And I think, look, I think they probably will go down, but I certainly don't think you could to say now they they are going down now any other uh big uh talking points or stories from the last week or weekend i did see there was talk go to go back to the nfl with uh 
Jamias Winston being injured, I saw that there was talk that either Drew Brees in the same way, in the same way that I felt like I had to throw in the qualifier that Sam is actually gay when we were making the, having that conversation. I think we had to throw in the qualifier that you do know that Jamias Winston's name is Jameis. Just so that again, we get new listeners every week and they don't think that we don't know the, the real name of an NFL quarterback. I saw that they were questioning if they should bring someone in and the potential candidates obviously are Cam Newton, who is now vaccinated and available, but also the return of Drew Brees or what I think would be even better, the return of Philip Rivers. I mean, I can't see Drew Brees coming back. I, I just, it's unimaginable, not only because he looked so bad towards the end of last year, but also he's moved on to a new career. And why would you do it and risk that someone else risks, for example, he comes back and then Rivers takes his job? Rivers I can get because he's just coaching high school football, right? Like he's... And he's a psycho. Yeah. <laughs> and and he might even convince himself. The, the other reason for Drew Brees to not do it is he's won a Super Bowl. So he kind of, he knows that... I mean, the really annoying thing about him coming back is we then have to get those weekly graphics of him against Brady all over again. Oh, God, I can't do it again. (laughs) Week on week. The race would be back on. But I could see Rivers talking himself into the fact that him adding him to the Saints might make them Super Bowl contenders. I don't think it would. But then maybe he needs one last go to try and get that Super Bowl ring. He's they, he was asked on, I think, a talk show or something. He said, you can't shut the door on anything. Although I'll stick by it's a super, super slim t- chance. If a team, if I, it takes a team to want you, first of all, it's got to be the right situation for our family. He then goes on to say, however, the Saints are a really good team. Uh, Coach Payton, what they've done over the years, it's been really good. They've been in the mix each and every year. So he's that's he could be tempted. That's a come and get me plea, but I don't want to say anything too strong so that it's embarrassing when I don't get the call. That's what yeah. that was. That was hey Saints, I'm I would do this, but I'm not going to put my neck on the line so that it's embarrassing when you just decide to stick with you know whatever other quarterback and- solution they can find. And he's not far. He lives in Alabama now. That's where he's coaching his high school football team. That must be an experience. What, him as the coach or him in Alabama? Both. <laughs> but I mean, he's from Alabama, I think. But I, I, I think it would just be such an experience to have him as a high school, have him as your high school football coach would just be so awesome. weird. It would be awesome. Potentially terrifying, but at least it's it's a crazy story. That's a story but, you can live off of for the rest of your life. Like that's your go-to. And just the stories he could tell. Yeah, but it's just your go-to bar story that every time you were meeting a new group of people, you'd be like, oh, Philip Rivers coached me in high school. And that would be, it's kind of like, that's an, could be an hour of you two, like, you just talking. Could be like the Roy Kent at um, when he was coaching that like young girls team. Like it would kind of have that kind of feeling to it of him just like screaming <laughs> profanities at all of them. 
Yeah, I think probably without the charm that Roy Kent kind of came across with in the show, but yes. Yeah. I mean, the other thing too is, right, he could he could have an entire football team just out of his children, so there's that aspect to it as well. Speaking of Roy Kent, I sent you both a message over Halloween to check out Brett Goldstein, who plays Roy Kent, his Instagram, because he was reposting all the Halloween pictures that people had put up that were him and juno temple uh what's her name on the show oh boy it's hard to put us on the spot of it's hard to put us on the spot of a show that i haven't now watched recently uh keely keely yeah and i don't know if you had the chance to look but some of the costumes were done well and you could tell who they were Others were awful. <laughs> Others, I, I wish, I wish Brett Goldstein were a little, not aggressive, but just like more outspoken. Like I feel like Ryan Reynolds. If it were Ryan Reynolds, he would have made comments as he reposted them. But Brett Goldstein kind of just put them up. It would have been funny if he was like, "This costume's fucking shit" or something like that, like on one of these, because some of them were just so bad. Yeah, they weren't great. But yeah, a couple were, were decent. I mean, it's not a hard costume to nail, right? It's just the beard, the dark hair, throwing a t- a black t-shirt and jeans and maybe a leather jacket or whatever it is he wears and you're good to go. It's not If you a, just do the beard, you yes. know, like the fake beard that he has. Yes, perfect. The, yeah. But but yeah, a couple of them were good. I'm 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 not a big Halloween fan. I'm glad that seemed to be the most popular choice, though, was Ted Lasso costumes. I saw a lot of Ted Lasso costumes. Yeah. Again, another easy. easy one. Just yeah, a visor, yeah. a mustache. Yeah. And the sunglasses. And a, and a whistle around your neck. And a what? Like a, a polo. Difficult. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was going to be my question. Were there people dressed for Halloween? in London when you went out on Sunday to watch the matches? Uh, Sunday, we saw a couple on the train. We saw more people, people on the Saturday night when we were out. Yeah, you saw people in, in the pub we went to and stuff. There were there were a decent percentage of people dressed up. Hmm. All quite all quite generic, you know, classic ghouls, classic. Um, I, I thought I'd see more people <laughs> as in the kind of Squid Game one. I thought the Squid Game one was going to be massive. That was, I think, the most popular, yeah. At least in the I States, didn't... I think that was like the most popular. I mean, the thing is, Sam, there's not a lot of Asian people in the West Country of England, so it just made it a little bit harder for everyone. <laughs> what you could really invest in. Speaking of which, maybe as a final topic. Uh-oh, maybe... this guy, <laughs> where is this going? <laughs> it's, the, it's the famous I'm not racist, but... Asians, <laughs> am I right? But no, uh... <laughs> Speaking of being in the West Country, where they obviously have a, a unique uh, accent for American listeners who aren't familiar, go ahead and look it up. I mean, the easiest way to describe it is it's it's the sort of base of the pirate accent that you would think of if you think of the traditional Hollywood pirate portrayal. That is the kind of the accent that it's coming from. Uh, people were very intrigued by my accent 
And I think we've gained a couple of new listeners as a result, just purely based on the fact that they wanted to hear me speak. And Frank, I think we've got maybe, if this podcast hasn't really taken off, you know, if we're not Joe Rogan within the next, say, 12 months, I think we move to the West Country and we just start, we become radio broadcasters <laughs> there. I think we will we'll be all right. <laughs> I like that idea, except I don't even know what what's over there. <laughs> not a lot. But at one moment, for example, I asked, we were in the pub and I asked for if I could have some darts to go and because there was a dartboard and to play. And the woman working just said, say that again. And then made me repeat <laughs> say it. Say that again. And then I laughed and then gave me the darts. But yeah, people were, and it, it, it's one of those classic things. If you're kind of in a place, that obviously not a lot of, I guess, foreigners are going to. And so not only do they notice that you speak differently, but they're also intrigued as to why you're there. All right, let's give it a go. Let's skip the races and go there instead. Start like signing autographs. Well, I think if we're going to do our first ever, when we do, if we're, when we do our first ever live episode, even though we might not have a decent number of listeners there, maybe we just try and book a venue in that area and just sell it on the come and listen to foreigners speak. <laughs> the foreigners. And it was, it was, it will just it will be so American and Englishman in a hybrid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, on that note, I guess. If if you're one of the people who is got converted by the accent, welcome. And uh make sure to follow us on social media. Alright. Well with that, I guess I'll talk to you boys later. See ya. Cheerio.